What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Stephanie Robel, author of the new novel, This Might Hurt. Robel's debut novel, Darling Rose Gold, was a USA Today and international bestseller. Stephanie, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Sure. Well, if someone listening hasn't yet heard uh, heard about your new novel, This Might Hurt, how would you describe the novel? So it's the story of three women, um, and two of them are sisters, Natalie and Kit Collins. Uh, they haven't spoken in six months because Kit's been away at this self-improvement retreat called Wisewood um, on a private island off the coast of Maine. And when the book starts, uh, Natalie gets an email from an account at Wisewood um, saying, would you like to tell your sister what you've done or should we? Um, and so that sends her into a panic and gets the ball rolling. She heads to Wisewood to come clean to her sister, Kit, and try to bring her home. Interesting. Well, do you remember the original idea that led you to write This Might Hurt? Yeah, you know, it was a fascination with cults, which has been, you know, seems to be a theme for a lot of people. But <laughs> wanting to get inside the head of people who join them, of people who lead them, that was really the impetus for the book. Uh, I, I have to say I'm I'm one of those people who are fascinated. I have been for years. I'm just curious. I mean, in your in your research and your thinking about it, did you have any insight into why people do join cults? Yeah, you know, I was trying to find commonalities, personality traits, whatever, and between all of them, you know, from real life cults. Um and I, I didn't find any personality traits. The only thing I found was that they're all searching for deeper meaning in their lives, you know, a, a more purpose. They're all kind of looking for something to belong to. Um, and actually, that made the job easier because, you know, who among us hasn't at times been looking for deeper meaning or, you know what I mean, felt a little lost, <laughs> yeah, like we could yeah. use some guidance. So, so yeah, it was, it was quite illuminating because I think we tend to view people who join cults as naive or foolish. Or, but that, I think, is because most of the stories we hear about cults are at the height of their zaniness. You know, you hear about the uniforms and the rituals and all of that, but 
Less so is discussed, you know, that these communities often start out as innocuous, um, social groups, religious organizations, whatever. Nobody says, would you like to sign up for a cult, you know? Sure. And I'm I'm curious, do you have any uh, favorite real life cults or or not favorites, but one that you're particularly fascinated with? Yeah, the People's Temple still is, I think, the standout for me. You know, just Jim Jones himself was such a such a fascinating character. Um, and the fact that he was able to get 900 people to move to another, you know, to another continent and sure. uh, eventually commit suicide. Of course, it's tragic, um, but it's also I was just so interested in how he was able to pull that off. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the opening scene of This Might Hurt is extremely intense. I'm curious, when you were working on the novel, was that scene always there or did you add that later when you were editing the finished novel? No, you know, I don't know if it was there in the first draft, but certainly for the majority of the story's development, it was always um, in the opening. Um, I think it's definitely the most gruesome scene in the book, so perhaps it doesn't give a a fair reflection of what's to come. I don't think anything else is nearly as horrifying, um, but it, it's an attention getter. You know, you have to say that much. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, not to give any spoilers away, but I'm curious when you started working on the novel, did you know already how you were going to end it? Um, well, the, the first draft, it changed a lot. So the, the plot changed, you know, entirely. I had those three main characters, um, that are still there, but certainly, certainly that changed. But yeah, I tend to, I tend to know if not the exact ending, at least, you know, pretty much where the characters are going to end up before I start writing. I, I find it helpful to have a direction that I'm moving toward. Sure. And and what what is that process like for you? Do you, do you write an extensive outline? Um, is it you know a couple of pages, uh, or are you just thinking about it in your head? How does that work for you when you're starting to work on a new novel? I take a lot of notes, um, both by hand and just in a word doc. I keep like a novel journal type thing where I can work mm-hmm. through issues. Um, when it gets to a point where I'm ready to plot things out, um, I start pretty macro. At the beginning, middle, and end. But before I start drafting, I like to have a one sentence summary for each chapter. And I use Scrivener for that um, because I like the sort of corkboard like index card view. You know, I like the visual representation of of one card for each chapter. Um, that just, yeah, I'm just a visual thinker. So that helps a lot. Sure. And do you actually write in Scrivener? Um, I've never used it, but I'm familiar with what it is. Or, or do you just use it for the organization? I just use it for the organization and for plotting. I just write in good old fashioned Microsoft Word. One mm-hmm. one do- yeah. one document per chapter helps me kind of keep things <laughs> from getting too chaotic. I won't I won't like work in you know the master doc until I'm to the point where we're just at copy edits and stuff like that. Got it. Got it. Well, what was your initial writing journey that led you to writing and getting your debut novel, Darling Rose Gold, published? So I was a copywriter um, before I wrote novels. I worked at um, a few advertising agencies. Um, So that really influenced, of course, my novel writing as well. You know, you really learn the art of concision when you're writing headlines for billboards and things like that, where you can't even have, you know, an extra letter. Um, But then, you know, I was between jobs um, in copywriting and I had always wanted to write novels, but it just seemed like an sort of impractical (laughs) dream or career. (laughs) Um, So but yeah, once I once I felt like I had nothing to lose, um, I applied to this MFA program at Emerson College 
because I had no formal creative writing um, training before then. And so I gave myself two years, um, wanted to come out of that with a finished novel or as close to it as I could. And that thesis um, ended up becoming Darling Rose Gold, which was my debut. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes. So doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Dot com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And what was your MFA experience like? I mean, obviously you came out of it with a novel, as you just said, but but can you talk about um, how your MFA program was? Yeah, I absolutely loved it. I'm I'm somebody who does really well with structure. So it's like, <laughs> here are the classes you take, you have your workshops. Um, you know, as somebody who's long been infatuated with reading and writing to meet a bunch of other people who also had the same obsessions was really rewarding. Um, you know, the first couple semesters were certainly harder because you've never, you know, I had never been in a workshop before. And so it's very intimidating to sit around a table and, you know, have people look you in the eye and say, this is what's wrong with it. But again, having worked in, you know, advertising, I found the feedback came in much more critical forms there. So I was quite used to, you know, having X's drawn through my stuff and, you know, scripts torn off the wall and things like that. So it, so it wasn't so bad. It was just, you know, it's when it's something you really care about, like I did with with novel writing, um, you're certainly just a little more, you know, on edge waiting for it. And how did you get into advertising and copywriting? Um, you know, in in college, I majored in public relations. Um, and yeah, I had always been told that I was good at writing. And like I said, I just didn't really think that creative writing or novel writing was a realistic way to pay my rent. So the closest thing I could think of was advertising, you know, writing TV spots, radio, digital, whatever. Um, mm -hmm. And so that was, yeah, for seven or eight years, that was what I did. And and I'm curious, I mean, you you, you mentioned uh, getting feedback and help um, with your advertising copy and, and, you know, how that related when you were doing workshopping. But I'm curious, did you see any kind of, um, trying to think of how to articulate this, but, but, uh, did you take any of your copywriting, um, secrets or things that you had learned into your novel writing? Yeah, I, I think, you know, it, it would probably be hard for me to articulate exactly how, but certainly, you like economy of language is critical in advertising. Mm -hmm. Also dialogue, you know, when you're writing 
TV or radio scripts, things that people are going to be performing out loud. You start to get an ear for dialogue, certainly. Um, and so from a craft perspective, like unquestionably learned a ton. And then, yeah, also from more of the psychological side of things, just learning how to take feedback on your work and not taking it so personally. Um, those were all great. It was great training ground for what would come with novel writing. That's great. Well, have you started working on a new novel now? I have. Yeah, I'm, I've finished a first draft of my third novel. So you just keep churning them out. <laughs> <laughs> well, what writing advice would you offer for listeners who are working on their own stories and novels? So from a more practical perspective, I would say making goals for yourself, um, whether it's, you know, X words or just getting through, you know, X scenes per day, week, month, whatever. Even if nobody else is holding you accountable at this point, holding yourself accountable, pretending that you have deadlines you have to reach, I think is the best way to actually get writing done. Because, you know, I know from experience when nobody's waiting for it, it's easy to say, oh, well, I'll just do it. The, <laughs> you know, I have other work to do. I have family. I have this, you know, but but really prioritizing it. And then from a more, you know, emotional standpoint, I think just remembering why you're doing it, you know, it's it's easy when you're trying to get published to just become so focused on the actual getting published, getting the agent querying, all of that. But I think if you always keep track or keep sight of the love of the writing and the process and improving at your craft, then that becomes more of a motivator to keep you going, even in the face of, you know, repeated rejection. Sure. Well, what novels have you read recently that you enjoyed? Um, recently, I read A Head Full of Ghosts by Paul Tremblay, which is a horror novel. Um, mm -hmm. And that's I just I loved that so much. It You know, the voice in that is incredible. It's this sort of like whimsical, eerie um, young girl that's narrating. Um, and anytime a genre can incorporate humor that's not typically thought of as funny, which is certainly horror. Um, I'm always a big fan of that, which which um, Tremblay does so well. And it's also the book is also a really thoughtful um, analysis of the horror genre, which I've only you know, I'm not I'm not a huge horror reader by any mm -hmm. stretch. So I found it, you know, a sort of an outsider to it. Very interesting to, you know, this he clearly has thought very deeply and immersed himself in like, you know, both film and novels and all of that. So it was just sure. a, an all around great read. That's great. Well, where can people find you online if they'd like to learn more about you and your new novel, This Might Hurt? Uh, my website is stephanierobel.com, and you can find all my social platforms and links to that stuff there as well. That's great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Stephanie Robel, author of the new novel, This Might Hurt. The book is available now, so go buy a copy. And Stephanie, thanks for doing this interview. Thanks so much for having me, Jeff. That's great. Thanks a lot. When you visit Arizona... Time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. <sighs> Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.